Hello, welcome back to Sermon Notes. This is Garland again. I've got Clark with me today. Clark, you'll be teaching our our passage this week as we continue in what, for at least for me, has been I mean, it's been one of the, the the most. I know I say this. I think every every book we study, I'm like, this is the best book in the Bible. I think we but should do that. This is. I've just been really enjoying First Peter. Uh, it's it's. Uh, I think challenge to us. It's uh, the fact that it's both. Uh, compelling in like a heart way, but also compelling and challenging in just the way we live our lives. Uh, it's given us a lot to think about. And so um, you'll be continuing. We've moved into um, chapter two, and, and it begins with this uh, crescendo, we might say, mm-hmm. of identity language culminating there in verse nine and 10, you know, chosen people, royal priests, and all that stuff. And then last week, we got, we got introduced to uh, basically a, a kind of a unit of this letter, which we're going to spend three weeks in. Yeah. So last week we 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 entered into that by uh, jumping into chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, where he reminds them that they're foreigners in exile. He says, abstain from sinful desires, uh, live good lives among the pagans, that they would see your good works. And we talked about being both uh, offensive and attractive at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and then he, be, he applies that to different groups within the house, the church, within the community. He talks to uh, those in response to authorities like the government. He talks about those in response, responding to authorities as in masters. And then he's mm-hmm. going to talk to uh, the authority of the in the Roman household of husbands and wives. So three groups will get addressed. Um, and uh, it, it, we're going to have to do uh, some work to kind of make sense yeah. of it for us and interpret it for us these days. And so, yeah, where are we going this week? Kind of give us the lay of the land, and we'll do some of the stuff that didn't make the cut. Yeah, so this would be the second in those um, three groupings uh, where he addresses slaves, as some versions was used. I think the NIV may use that word, um, servants. Um, so I think you have to do a little work on just that term and what it means in context. And then he leans into this be subject or be submissive uh, theme that he's leaning into. But first, I mean, uh, for us to apply this in its context, I do think, and I don't think we can overstate this, is we do have to keep using our identity to inform behavior, inform response, or inform roles in culture and society. And so I've been reminding myself that if you, if you start with image of God— you start with in Christ, he's speaking to believers, and then you start with his operative phrase that we've been using, elect exiles. Those three identity statements, they actually inform these commands. And so, But if you don't get those right, these don't make sense, or they're more difficult to apply mm-hmm. from a motive perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, But once you get those things lined up, like you were talking about verses 9 and 10 in chapter 2, then these things have a shot at, at making sense to us. Mm-hmm. And because we're under the authority of who God is, his word, we're made in his image, we've got dignity, um, he's given us a role to play, we're in Christ, our sins are not held against us. And then this elect exile says, hey, uh, you got to learn how to be home at me and not in a place because you're a sojourner. And we were introduced to that language as well. So identity speaks to behavior, informs it, and so here we've got servants. And so, girl, I don't know about you, but the, my best rendering of this word in its context would be um, what we might call a household servant. Right. The context does seem to be inside the home, and he uses the word masters in most um, in most of these versions, at least mm-hmm. from the ESV. I've got the, I'm looking at the NAS right here. 
Um, but the, the, the way the verb is just set up, it's be subject or uh, come up under voluntarily the authority of this authority structure that is over you. Is that how you would phrase it? Yeah, I think in it's, terms of the command. Yeah, it seems like probably behind uh, this this section at least is uh, what well, something very common in the ancient world. Uh, 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 a slave master in the Roman culture that was very prevalent. So probably something like that is in view. Which I think for us it's a little it's it's a little difficult for us to kind of get our arms around what that exactly was like because we didn't you know we don't live in the ancient Roman Empire and so yes yeah, something like that is probably in view and. You know, most commentators would say between one-fourth and one-third of the Roman Empire um, was it in this role inside the empire. And so uh, there was a variety of reasons why you might be find yourself in this situation. Many were born into it because of their family. Uh, some were, I guess you might say, sold into it because of a debt that was incurred. Um, in some cases, you could climb out of it um, based on the type of master or the type of debt you had, and you could find your way into this middle part, if you will, of Roman culture and in the socioeconomic strata. And so it wasn't this, in every case, it wasn't this situation where this was your lot in life. But for some families, it could have been. And I think it's also instructive when we read these texts is that the worst possible scenario could be at play in some of these homes. And so um, he uses this idea of, in this passage, of, of taking a beating, and, but doing it with a clear conscience because you're mindful of who God is, and for whatever reason, God's got you at this time and this place under this abusive master. And in some cases, the masters were great to work for, and they were treated with dignity and respect. And I think, I think there's a continuum. I think when we read sometimes this idea of servant or slave, um, understandably so in, in, in the American context, we go directly to um, the, the African-American slave context, which was gruesome and horrible and unjust. And we read some of those extreme stories into a text like this. And I just think we have to be careful not to go to either extreme. Um, some have even said that, you know, this is, I think there's a principle here that this is like a employer employee relationship. Probably I, a little different than that. I think that, it's a yeah. little different than that. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a principle at play that maybe we can apply to that in a harsh work environment, but there's nuance to this, and so we have to be careful with that. And so, um, Garland, I, I think there's a there's a who, uh, there's a what, meaning there's a who that he's addressing. There's a what. This is what he's asking them to do. Um, there's a how, where to go about it, and then there's a why, and there's a motive. And I think that's where it gets us um, into the gospel message here. And so I just wanted to note a few, um, just some observations about some of the how. They're supposed to be sub, um, submissive or um, subject to their masters, but he says do it with respect. Um, do it to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable or unjust. And then he says in verse 19, um, in, in the NAS, for the sake of conscience towards God or being mindful, uh, that you're actually ultimately submitting to God, not just to a, this isn't just a man focused scene here. This is, there's a, there's a God that you answer to. And ultimately we submit to him. And you'll see also that in our language in your text next week, mm -hmm. um, as he addresses wives. 
Yeah, so just grammatically, I think we can kind of work through the passage. If you, if you have your Bible out and you can actually see it, um, then you can note a few grammatical things. Uh, he begins addressing them there in verse 18, and you can see uh, it's, a, it's a participle in Greek, but it carries the it probably carries uh, a command force or an imperative force. It's usually translated as submit. Um, and then he gives three if statements. It actually is a very regular feature that Peter likes to do there in verse 19 and 20. Mm-hmm. Three straight if statements. He says, for this is, there's favor in this, is verse 19 beginning. How does it, how do they translate that? It uh, finds favor in the NAS. Okay. Yeah, this finds um, favor. It's a, gracious, it's a gracious thing yeah, in the yeah. ESV. It's our, yeah. it's our word charis, which is the word for, often we translate that word as grace, but it's uh, in, the, in the original language, in the original culture, that could be favor, grace, a gift. Um, so a charismatic person is a usually mm-hmm. an usually gifted person um, and notice so he bookends he's got for this it, there's favor in this verse 19 at the very end of verse 20 says for there's favor from God in this or of God in this and so mm-hmm. he bookends that with three if statements and then that trans that kind of transfers him into verse 21 and following by looking to Jesus as our example of suffering which some uh, we were actually just looking at a scholar who mm-hmm. who uh, in 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 doing that, he is actually giving a nobility to these slaves in a sense to say your suffering actually is just like the suffering of Jesus is a it, it's a very honorable way to speak to a slave and in fact speaking to a slave in this manner was very unusual in the ancient Roman world to address the least honorable in the household like this. We're going to see the same thing with women next week. Actually, they're very right. rarely directly addressed like this. Um, and so going out of his way to speak this way to them. He's actually lifting them yeah, up. is already a significant uh, Over and sign. above how they would be viewed or treated inside yeah. their culture. Yeah. And so, and I, I do think it's interesting. I don't know how, in the NAS it reads, for you have been called according to this mm-hmm. purpose. Mm-hmm. God's working a plan um, for their good in the gospel and for his glory here. But it's something they've been called to, and it's a it's a very interesting. Um, I don't, how's it worded there? And the, is that the NIV you have there? NIV, yep. To this you were called. To yeah, this you yeah. were called, and he's speaking to this process of of suffering unjustly under harsh rule. Um, you're called to be in a, uh, to follow the example of Christ, to follow in His steps, and so as he moves into the from the how to the why you now get into a lot of gospel language. And so you'll see some direct quotations, if you will. And actually, I think Peter may be one of the few New Testament authors to directly quote or pull phrases from Isaiah 53 here. Mm -hmm. And he begins to preach the gospel to this group of believers as a motive for suffering unjustly, reminding ourselves that it's an honor because Jesus did this for you. Mm -hmm. And so... This should motivate you. This should cause you to be able to bear up under or endure uh, under great suffering. Yeah, it's it, it's an, an incredible. The, the whole time I'm reading this, Garland, I'm going, okay, yeah, but yeah, but what about if in this situation? And why doesn't the slave start a revolution or the servant? This can't be right or. Now, the Bible may speak more holistically as you read the whole narrative. You can you, There's nuance to this. But at least in this passage, in this text, there's just not a lot of side doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's just, and, and most of the behavior that he commands them to live out and being submissive in the motive of the gospel relates to 
um, their mouth. And when they're threatened, they're not supposed to threaten in return. When they're reviled, they're, reviled, they're not supposed to revile in return. Um, in fact, in Paul's language in Ephesians chapter 6, um, he deals specifically with working unto God and not unto man. It's the same language that's used in Colossians as well. And so not doing things as I service to get man's approval, but you, you work unto your master as unto God because he's the ultimate authority in your life. And so the gospel seems to find its way in here and as a motive uh, for the believer to um, fight against wanting to be vindicated. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you see in, at the end of verse 23 here, it says the reason you're able to do this, the reason Jesus was able to do this, it says he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And so Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, accomplishing its ultimate task and what God wanted to do in that, um, Jesus himself submitted to the Father, submitted to unjust authority. Um, he actually became the servant <laughs> that they speak of here, mm -hmm. and he takes on the human form of being a servant so that we could be made great in the gospel. So, Yeah, what's fascinating, and I was just doing a little work on the, the passage I'm teaching next week, uh, the, the husbands and wives in three, is the amount of times that Peter references honor and, you know, if he's writing this from Rome, you know, it's an honor-shame culture. And the mm -hmm. word it gets translated differently in, in your Bible. Sometimes it's translated as respect or uh, that kind of can obscure some of the repetition, like in verse chapter 3, verse 7, treat them with respect. Hmm. Uh, it's the same word, though. Like in, That's in used two, in verse 18 of chapter yeah, 2 like, here. Well, like 217, yeah. you know, uh, honor everyone. Um, and then honor the emperor, honor the king. Uh, this honor language is everywhere. What's fascinating, the honor-shame culture of the, of the Roman world, which we're, we're not, we don't live in an honor-shame culture, uh, largely. We have, we have different kind of elements of it, but your entire social standing is based on your honor. And you can, you can have it inherently based on the fact that you're a Roman citizen or you come from a certain family or you have a certain, mm -hmm. you, you've inherited a certain name. Or you can earn it by your actions, and there were very clear social things that were, were honorable. It was very external. It was not like we live in a very privatized, individualistic culture. For them, um, your honor was something that people would know about because of what you did, and that your dishonor or shame was something that people would know about because of what you did. And so to be a slave... Um, you would then be treated with dishonor. And oftentimes uh, a dishonored person was, you would beat them, you would spit on them, you'd hurl insults at them, but you would never mm. dare to dishonor someone in a higher rank than you. You would always want to honor yeah. that person. We got vestiges of this. Like I think of like a, like a, like a mafia movie context. That's probably the closest that yeah. we can get of that kind of honor shame where you might, you speak, you know, you speak a certain way around the honorable person. And um, those sorts of rules govern the day. Yeah. And so to, to address this, to have all this honor talk, honor everyone, and then to come in and say, hey, by the way, the one who is reviled and cursed and beaten and spit upon, he then goes, you know, that's our, that was our Jesus, right? All of the language in that gospel, hurled insults, did not retaliate, though, suffered. Uh, all of that language, he was, the, he was the innocent one. All of that language is things that would, a, a dishonored person would receive. And here in the context, speaking to the dishonorable ones, he says, oh, by the way, that just so happens to be um, the way that our honored king uh, received his honor. It's just this countercultural flip that he's constantly doing. Yeah. Um, 
and you could we could spend all day talking about what Isaiah 53 is doing. You are right. Outside of Acts 8, it's not directly really quoted. You would think it would be. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's almost a presupposed in there. Yeah. Um, and what Isaiah 53 is doing is the, the imagination of the prophet in the Old Testament is imagining a situation where that the, the community of Israel in exile will experience the they'll experience the suffering on behalf of the people so that future generations may see blessing. They're taking the hit in a sense. Yeah. And Peter is doing a double thing here. He's saying both Jesus both did that once for all, but we are joining that community that takes the hit in a sense. And we um, share in his sufferings. That's yeah. the language of So it's a bigger call. Yeah. I think to your point of why not start a revolution is going, don't you see you're, you're part of this bigger narrative where there's way more thing. There's such something way bigger going on than just social standing and honor, shame in the household. And even your, even the, the very pain you go through by your lot in life. Like it's something you're, you're swept up in a bigger story. Yeah. And I think that's why he can then look at them and go, if you, if you get this, you can even bear up under being beaten by an unjust master. Although it yeah. sounds like, we're talking about it because it just doesn't sound good. We hate yeah. it. We don't like that, but I think Peter's eyes are so much higher mm-hmm. that uh, if you can understand this, then the, even the person unjustly treated can go, oh, I know what, I know where I fit in this story. Um, yeah, and I think for the purpose, and because I think a lot of folks, when they, and I'm me too, when you read this, you think because he's speaking of this and he's not speaking of some kind of way out, then does the Bible by default condone or promote the practice of slavery in any form. And I think it's, it's just helpful to understand, and it's what makes me appreciate the scriptures, is that the authors write to an audience who lived in a specific time in a specific place, and the purpose of what he's instructing them in, especially in exile language, is this is how you follow Jesus, become like him, and become his imprint in a culture, in a dark world. And the, the point of his letter was not to teach whether it was right or wrong, or to tell you how to get out of it, he was telling you how to behave in the gospel in it. Yeah. And you may have to, there may be other texts that you can go to in, in all of Scripture to kind of put a fuller narrative together in that. But here specifically, this is how you live as an elect exile. Yeah. And so I, I think it's instructive for, I mean, to, let's finish with the two ideas here. One, it is interesting, the writer of all people, to to do to write like this is Peter. And he was the one that was always um, impulsive with his mouth. Um, he's the one that had to have, Jesus had to have him put his sword back up um, because of his, the way he lashed out in anger. And then he's also the one that Jesus restored. And it's one of your more favorite teachings, I'm sure. Passage, yeah. But he's at the end of John, he's being restored and he's to feed the master's sheep. And so you get, and especially in chapter five, we're going to get more shepherd sheep languages. He, it's another kind of picture of the church of God, if you will. And so you get probably as, as much sheep shepherd language from Peter as you do anyone. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting from a guy who didn't get it mm-hmm. for so long um, to be the one to now write, hey, in this dark Roman space, I even, I, who wanted to start the revolution, um, I've submitted in and with Christ, um, and now I'm telling you there's a better way. Um, For him to say these words, to me, is a work of the gospel. 
It's not what I would have opted for. Right. And and then Garland, I think it I think it's fair to acknowledge maybe a couple application ideas. We may or may not get to some of these in the sermon itself, but um you know, we've got to figure out, and this will happen in uh, chapter 3, verses 8 to 22 as well. We'll unpack some of this. But um, when it comes to being reviled or slandered and not reviling or slandering in return, to being threatened and not threatening back, okay, what arena, um, what areas, what application spaces in our life does this apply to? Okay, uh, maybe we're not in a household slave under this type of rule, but where have you been supposedly harshly treated and been tempted to respond back with venom, um, to be vindicated? I, I don't know. I mean, what are the different spaces, Garland, where we're tempted to lash out and to not take the gospel way? What would be some of those? Yeah, I think, I think in our culture right now, these two sections, um, and Michael did a good job this past week, I think, helping us kind of go there a little bit. Um, it, it seems as if uh, Jesus' followers have had a difficult time um, feeling some of the sting of, uh, we might say, um, just the cost of being a Jesus follower. And it makes us want to, especially, you know, I'm an American, like probably most of our listeners, I'm guessing, uh, you know, that, that American way, especially in the South, that says, no, you're not gonna you're not gonna do that to me. I'm gonna fight back. Mm-hmm. There's something, especially in Southerners, I think that has that. No, I'm gonna defend mine, and we're gonna have to look in the mirror, as Michael asked us to do, and square that um, in a bunch of different situations, uh, both at a you know with our authorities that are over us. I think there's gonna be things um, that we're gonna have to navigate carefully. What it looks like to be both winsome and compelling, but also. Um, to, to, to follow Jesus and to do so faithfully and with loyalty to him as our king. And that's why we're doing this series, actually, yeah. is to help us to kind of tease some of those things out. And uh, uh, it, it's not always easy. And Peter, we're going to see next week as well, he doesn't give you like the detailed, no. you know, here's how it all works out. He kind of leaves it up to the church community to, now what? Now we got to talk about it. And now, at every point, it may not be simple. Um, so, so for we're those, not saying yeah. that, but it it <laughs> summer's a hard time to be doing this series because our <laughs> a lot of our groups aren't meeting every yeah. week, and um, I know I've been having really just interesting conversations about this stuff at you know at lunch after church, and you know at night when my friends came over or sitting at the pool with my kids with some of my friends, they're watching their kids. Just what does this look like? Because it's not always easy. Yeah, I mean you gotta. You know, just to kind of get in the weeds a little bit, for those that are listening, I mean, you know, those that we do community with, many of us that are in very difficult job situations, and you're under a harsh supervisor or a direct that um, it's not working out, it's gray for you whether or not you should stay or go. And so I think this kind of language and these type of passages they get really personal really quick. Um, you know, for a certain segment of the population, it likes to go back and forth on Facebook or, you know, you enjoy waking up with Twitter and responding <laughs> right out of the gate. Um, you know, even just watching or listening to the news, it's easy to not entrust ourselves to himself who judges justly. <laughs> 
and to take matters in their own hands, hands because it feels so good to be vindicated and to be right. And I think that's part of the lesson in this for us. Well, and I think that's yeah. where that, that the little sandwich, I'll, I'll draw it out grammatically yeah. for, for those listening. He says, uh, for it, it's commendable. Then he has our, our three. Okay. So, uh, this finds grace, it's, or it's commendable, finds favor, then three if statements. And notice, there's a very clear grammatical thing here. So you might say, you know, A, this is grace, then three ifs. So we'll call this B. If someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because mm-hmm. they're conscious of God, okay, then C. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong? <laughs> then he goes, now B again. But if you, if you suffer for doing good, that's commendable. That's a back to A, or you know, our A prime, you might say. That's that's commendable to God or shows favor to God. But what's the middle of that then? You've got you get grace, then if you do for being mm-hmm. just, if you suffer for being just, but the middle point of that is Yeah, but if you <laughs> if you suffer because you were being a jerk, it's kinda on you. Um yeah. and so this is that is, is not that, that's actually us. not yeah. a gracious thing. Yeah, it's calling so, us yeah. to consider like um the way we respond, the way we treat people, the way that we even handle unjust suffering uh, says a lot about who our king is. And so yeah. Peter's not letting us off the hook. And I think he wants to, grammatically, he's doing that very intentionally because he wants to pinpoint that middle one. Hey, yeah, you you popped off at the guy and then you got, you, that's what you deserved. Um, so yeah. don't, don't, no, but now if you're following Christ and they treat you unjustly, and you're and you are doing good. That's a different story. But he doesn't tell you what to do with those. No, he you know doesn't. what I'm saying? Does it didn't unpack them? So that's that's what I'm saying. In our discipleship context, we're gonna have to have some very interesting conversations. And I think First Peter's drawn those out for us. Yeah, and the way of wisdom finds its way through the scriptures, through the spirit inside of us, and then also through the wisdom of those that we're in community with. And so I think leaning into those spaces are our safest place to try to figure out how to apply this. So. Um, it's going to be an interesting few weeks, actually. <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know who's so more excited good. for uh, to get to teach chapter three, verses <laughs> one to Peter's seven so next good. week. It's going to be so good. good. Yeah. Uh, well, as always, um, thanks for listening to sermon notes. And if you've got questions, if you're if you're wrestling with some of this stuff, you know, talk to your community group leader. Somebody discipling you, your cell group leader. Call you know, call one of the staff. We'd love to sit down and talk about it. Um, we're in this together, everyone. So let's continue uh, to study this book and to draw out its implications in our life. Have a good week.